episode of On Ramping with D, and I am your second host of the Bitcoin Podcast, doing my own solo show here. If you haven't tuned into the rest, then let me fill you in on what this show is about. This show is trying to get a real-time measure on uh, the kind of the temperament, or the fever, if you will, of uh, the greater public that would ordinarily not give a damn about Bitcoin. Maybe they've heard about it, maybe they haven't. Maybe they're curious about it and need to know more, but just like the title says, On Ramping with D, it's my attempt to on-ramp someone uh, who isn't as into Bitcoin as the rest of you probably are. So, without further ado, my guest today, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Kyle. I am the the general public. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, your, I'm your typical, you know, 20-something guy don't really have any kind of involvement with bitcoin at all i know steven and he's always texting me and complaining about bitcoin and why, how awesome <laughs> it is and everything like that I, I i vaguely know what it is but yeah so so here i am i'm sorry that your best friend or one of your best friends is a bitcoiner because we are incessant i guess you could say this is Ella. yeah Zealot. I've been called that before. That's good. I'm in good company then with Mackie. So, yeah. So, as the show says, on ramping. And I don't know how much you know from Mackie, but how much do you know and how much would you like to know? Is there still mystery around it? Um, I know nothing about the, the inner workings. My, my full understanding is basically this. The, uh, the benefits of it are that it's decentralized. Um, well, the benefit of it is that it's decentralized and has no international, international or, uh, national transaction fees. Well, I know it has like a small quarter of a percent or something like that. I've never used it, but, uh, that's, that's pretty much it. So I don't see, Hey, I don't know what it being decentralized has to do with me wanting to use it. And B, I don't know what the benefit of no transaction fees is when I can wire money or pay for things with a credit card online with no transaction fees. So I don't see 
Mm-hmm. Why would why would I make that switch? I, that's about as far as I've gotten with what Bitcoin is. Okay. So it is a lot of things. Decentralized is one of them. And there is a fee. There's a transaction fee, but it's very, very, very small uh, in correlation to, say, your credit card company's fees and things like that. So speaking to that, to that aspect of it, uh, if you own a business, then perhaps Bitcoin would be advantageous because credit card companies are going to charge you three to five percent for your transactions as where Bitcoin is less than one percent for its transaction fee. Um, Depending on adoption, that can be really, really close to free. And depending on the network, uh, that less than one percent can get really, really low, but it's usually right around 1% is your transaction fees. So if you own a business, that's good. And the decentralized nature of it is, it's kind of political. Um, You know, when it first started up, it just wanted to be cash for the internet. And a few of us in the community, the Bitcoin community, we like decentralizing the idea of a decentralized currency that no one person or people own or make decisions on that's strictly just free market, strictly uh, supply and demand. Um, So that decentralized nature, some people have used that and put value in that to maybe hedge themselves against, you know, governments, against value, because we live in this inflationary system uh, under the U.S. where prices inflate over time and the value of our money goes down over time. That's just the way it's designed. Uh, Bitcoin is a hedge against that. Um, Bitcoin is the exact opposite of that. And it can do that because it's decentralized. Or one of the reasons why it can do that is because it's decentralized. Now, you as a consumer, and I know you're in America, to tell you the truth, the honest truth, there's not much reason to switch to Bitcoin. There's not a lot of reasons for it. I mean, we're very, very um, spoiled, you could say. Like, I guarantee if you wanted to, you could apply for and get a credit card within the next few hours. And that would be great. And I could do the same. And that would be great. But there's a lot of places around the world that can't. There's a lot of places around the world that don't even have access to to banks. Right? So Bitcoin actually is good for them. Bitcoin is a way for them to make a living. It's a way for them to uh, spark commerce. Uh, it's definitely not like that here in the States. Places like Venezuela, some places, some parts of Brazil, parts of India, um, parts in the Pacific, South Pacific, they, they need Bitcoin. They actually need it because their governments are pretty bad. <laughs> and they're actually, I know in Venezuela, they use Bitcoin just to buy groceries because some groceries you have to get on the black market. Because it's horribly communist there. So that decentralized, the ability for it to be decentralized allows it to be different types of value to different types of people all around the globe. Um, Now let's see. What, as you as a consumer, why would you want to use Bitcoin? Is that something that you're asking me pretty much? Or what's the point of it? I mean, I... The lower transaction fees is, you know, it's a benefit for sure. It's not something I would switch my whole currency for. I don't, I don't know what word to use there, but it's not something I would switch all my assets over to just for, you know, to save 2% on 
international online transactions. I mean, what do I, what do I even buy? Like things on Amazon. I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like sending $20,000 over to China every other month. Uh, in which case maybe it would be beneficial. And then there's also the, uh, volatility aspect of Bitcoin. Um, I know it's doing really well right now, but if people were to switch, at least the, the masses who don't understand Bitcoin, like, um, I probably, with my limited understanding of Bitcoin, have a better understanding than 98% of people. Uh, so you've got these people who know nothing about it. All they know is that there's this online coin that fluctuates in price upwards of 20% a month. Uh, and they're not looking at it from, from a alternate currency. They're not looking at it as an, as an alternate currency. They're looking at it like a, uh, a volatile investment, which I'm guessing is not what the Bitcoin community wants. They want Bitcoin to be seen as, uh, you know, like a medium of trade, not like a, uh, a stock that's either going up or down every, every other week. So, I mean, I'm assuming once, you know, in a few years or whatever, when Bitcoin evens out a little bit, uh, people might start to stop seeing it that way. But for now it's a very volatile market. So it's scary for people mm. Understand it. Oh, you're absolutely right there. Um, the volatility has gone down by design. Um, the volatility in Bitcoin is actually kind of a function of um, adoption. The more people that adopt it, the more people that are using it. The higher the velocity of exchange, the, the lower velocity, the lower volatility gets. Um, I don't know if that's innate to Bitcoin. That might be just innate to any new currency becoming a currency. You know, so, but the volatility has decreased and you can actually look at the volatility. I can send you a few links to show you that the real time volatility of Bitcoin and it's probably decreased because more people are adopting it. Um, that tends to be the thing with new currencies is the first people that get on board tend to be the ones that look out or the ones that, that had it. Um, now when it comes to using it as an everyday currency, it's funny. You touched on a vein that's kind of a tough uh, spot for the Bitcoin community at this point in time because there's there's two kind of groups. You know, there's one group of the Bitcoin community that that wants it to be that oh, you can go get your coffee, you can get your sticks of gum, you can get whatever you want every day, anytime with Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, but the way the technology is suited right now, it's not really ready for that. And then there's a whole other group of people that want it to be a settlement layer, if you will, like a reserve currency for other currencies to base their value off of. I don't know where I am. I'm somewhere in between those two groups. Um, Never thought about it being a reserve currency. Um, uh, another thing that uh, con concerns me, confuses me is... Uh, I guess altcoins like Ethereum. Are you mm -hmm. guys worried that that's going to take the place usurp Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's gonna become outdated and worthless while Ethereum jumps and you know up to a thousand dollars in a couple of years, and everyone who has Bitcoin now is going to be like you know left out in the cold, while the people going in <laughs> on the more more efficient technology are going to be. Um, I personally think that. With the advancements coming down the line, I think there's going to be enough real estate for Bitcoin and Ethereum. 
Ethereum and Bitcoin aren't really relatable. They're I, don't, I don't even know what Ethereum is. All I know is Stephen's always <laughs> raving about it. I just I assumed I assumed it was basically Bitcoin 2.0. I mean, so that's not. Uh, it he'd like to think of it that way. Mackie would love that. <laughs> um, it's they're really two different kind of animals. Uh, it's like comparing a tiger to a parrot. <clears throat> if we should really should do a show called On Rampin' Ethereum with Mackie. And then he could go into it. But they're they're really two different animals. And I, for one, like to think of it like this. Bitcoin it would be your digital gold. Ethereum would be your digital oil. Um, it's kind of hard to think about in that analogy, but Ethereum allows you to, to run actual applications on its network. Kind of so, like how gold's useless but rare, and the oil's actually useful. Is that what you're... Yeah, that's... That's kind of why I use that connection because Bitcoin is scarce, right? Bitcoin is, there's only ever going to be 21 million whole units of Bitcoin. Each whole unit is divisible down to the millionth decimal point. So that's it. Once there's 21 million, that, that's it. There's no more Bitcoin. So that scarcity gives it that property of gold, yeah. which is why people like me that think it's going to be a big deal, I'm trying to get as many as I can. Because if it is a big deal, then yay. Do you know but, when the professor sets a run out like the um uh when all the bitcoin's supposed to be in circulation yeah uh, i believe it's the year 2143 oh damn okay yeah so it's gonna be a while but and that scarcity also is what drives that demand um another thing that happens with the bitcoin network is every four years there's it's called a happening yep. and that's and that's uh the amount of bitcoin that enters into circulation is cut in half. So yeah. when it first started, it was 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. Then four years after that, it's 25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. Uh, now where we are, it's 12.5 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. And then three years from this year, 2020, it'll be, um, what is that? 12 and a half, 6.25 Bitcoin every 10 minutes. So I'm wondering then if, if Bitcoin adoption doesn't, what's the word? Uh, if Bitcoin adoption outpaces our increases in processing power, will mining eventually become non-profitable for for miners? Like, Oof. that's a great question. Mining is non-profitable for a lot of people right now um, because it's that competitive. In fact, you'd need probably a cool three mil to have a chance to get your money back when it comes to mining at this point. Uh, it's very competitive, and it's kind of followed the same trend as like gold mining. First, it was like a guy with a little filter, then the guy with a nice fancy pickaxe and a filter, then the guy with these huge machines they have that now excavate and filter and do all the same. It's kind of like that. Now where mining is... Just these giant facilities, some of them like the size of like three Walmarts put together of CPUs. Just actually, they're not called CPUs, they're called ASICs, and they're mining Bitcoin. And that's it. And there's, there's like hundreds of these plants all around the globe, and that's all they do is mine Bitcoin. And so um, the next question that it usually bleeds into is what happens when all the Bitcoin is in circulation? That's usually... You know, what are they mining for at that point in time? Well, 
in in the dream world. Go ahead. If it's twenty one forty, who who cares? I mean, I won't be alive. So in that situation, you still need the miners, and the way it's designed is that if there is such a saturation of people using Bitcoin, then there will be enough paid in fees to subsidize the miners to to continue to secure the network. I gotcha. So you know, it's really far thinking out there. You know, who knows if Bitcoin takes off or not? But if it does, and it continues to fulfill what it's built to do, and more and more people are using it, and it does become either a reserve currency or a actual daily currency, then the fees associated will subsidize the miners so that the Bitcoin won't matter. So, so I guess, so people with like, like I can't, or I guess I could, but people aren't really just turning on their home computers and mining anymore. That's not, no, really, not, not really. Um, so then I'm wondering, uh, if, if that's the case, you know, these giant mining farms and they're the sole miners, I would think that a couple of guys with enough money could, you know, own, they could like buy the, they could centralize the currency. So there, there were attempts and they were almost even like some people got close to having 51% of the network. Um, what you're called is something it's called a 51% attack. And if somebody has 51% of the network, then they could theoretically in that 10 minutes, go back to change a transaction or change the ledger. Right. So I don't know how much you know about the inner workings of Bitcoin, like the back end kind of thing. Did Mackie tell you that stuff? I, I I know there exists this uh, this giant ledger that all the computers are aware of, and it makes it impervious to attack because your if you tried to change something, it would have to be confirmed by the rest of the network or something. But I mean, that's that's about all I got. You pretty much hit the nail on the head. I mean, if you try and change something in that ledger, then all the other computers see that and they would say, wait, wait a second. Your one ledger is different than all of ours. We're going to spit that out. And it takes actual energy cost to try and make that change. And that's why attacking the Bitcoin network isn't really a great idea. And especially if you want to be one of the people that tries to centralize this mining and becomes the majority, well then essentially you've you've kind of sabotaged what's given Bitcoin its value anyways in that decentralized nature. That's what gives it its value. And then the whole network dies because it has no value proposition. Oh, okay. So it's a it's it's kind of a game theory. It's like, okay, I could definitely get all of these miners together in collusion to mine all this Bitcoin, but that's the value proposition. So yeah. if this one person or entity is controlling the network, then no human on the no human in their right mind is going to say, I'm not going to give that person all of the value and all of the power. That network is now useless. I'm going to a different network. So, so yeah, whatever whatever money they invest in trying to trying to do that would be lost. So you're saying yeah, pretty much. Okay. Makes sense. So that's one of the game theory aspects of Bitcoin and why the system has worked so well for this long 
is because the miners fixed themselves. I think it was two years ago. Someone got really close. They got like 49% of the network. And then it started pinging around the network. They're like, hey, guys, look at this mining farm. That's They've got a lot. And then they fixed themselves. They They dropped it off. So a lot of... Sorry, what happens is people will mine and then group together and mine. So you can have several of those huge factories and they could all be mining in the same mining pool. But that mining pool that got too big, a bunch of the miners left. They said, oh, no, we can't. We're not going to have that much of the network. And now what you see is a much better balance. I think the biggest percentage I've seen is like 25% in the past um, two years. So, and that's getting more and more balanced. So, I mean, yeah, I think it would progressively get more and more expensive. I mean, what was Bitcoin at? Like $200 in November or something like that? Or September? Oh, shit. Um, uh, it, was some, it was somewhere down there. I don't, I don't remember, but. Yeah. Uh, about two years ago, it was 200 It's gone up to about 1180 Yeah. So um, the longer it takes for someone to attempt to do that the more expensive it'll be. You're going to have to get like banks involved or something. Mm-hmm. So I can see, yeah, it's not really a concern. I can see it's a good point. Um, I guess, I guess all that's left is getting all the, uh, once, once people of my generation start to, uh, you know, enter their careers and start to make real money, and start to actually look at investing things, I think Bitcoin will start to take off more and more. Because, I mean, there's just no, there's no way in hell, like, my mom is going to ever buy Bitcoin. It's just not <laughs> a thing. It's not, not even a consideration. And I think most of the wealth, at least in the U.S., is concentrated in the uh, people in their 30s and 40s. Maybe people of retirement age. I don't, I don't really know. But I know it's not 20-year-olds. So, no. um, I think... Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general are probably going to see an increase in value uh, directly related to the wealth of whatever generation we are, Generation Y, I think. Um, That's actually a pretty great. Uh, it's pretty prophetic there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the people who are most into it are probably, you know, people that are teenagers right now. And, you know, you get to you guys over there and. California, you're obviously like the most into it, but everyone else is like uh, <laughs> waiting to see what you guys do. But yeah. the only people that are aware of it are people in their early 30s and under. So, yeah. um, you could probably you could probably look at a uh, a graph of the distributed wealth in the U.S. over age groups and come close to correlating that with the value of Bitcoin with people our age. That's actually that actually be a great uh, that'd be a great thing for me to look into, and I I don't think you're wrong. I think you're absolutely right. It took four years of me being passionately into Bitcoin to convince my father last night to buy some Bitcoin for the first time, and he bought seventy five bucks worth. And I'm like, come on. <laughs> so you're absolutely right there, and I I say that uh, I say something in our Slack. We have a Slack channel. And I said, as long as Bitcoin is around and it has value and it's going to keep securing its network and keep proliferating these transactions, then every single person born today was born in a world where Bitcoin does exist. 
And by the time they're at an age where they have money and they're making decisions, they're going to understand, oh, there's this Bitcoin thing I grew up with. It's this internet money. And let me have some of it and do some stuff with it. So I'm thinking long term. Like when I, so any, any, um, anyone I talk to about this, uh, most of the people I'm surrounded with are, are much older than myself. Uh, they all still give Bitcoin the, uh, Silk Road stigma that it had attached to it back oh, in yeah. 2011 or 12. I don't know when that was. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, you bring up, you bring up Bitcoin to someone in their, their 50s and up. They're like, oh, that, that criminal money with the with the Silk Road and the drugs and <laughs> that's, that's the stigma it still has for those people. So, uh, you know, people that aren't in touch with current events are just uh, yeah. Well, the, view of it. Bitcoin current events aren't uh, you know on everyone's newsfeed. You could no. say. I know. <laughs> but um, there's one thing I like to say, or at least attempt to do with everyone that I interview, and that's get that moment to where maybe it makes a little more sense than it did before. And the reason why we get so hyped about it, I'm not in Silicon Valley, I'm in Texas, but I might as well be in Silicon Valley, I think, like those guys, is that before Bitcoin existed, if I were to send something to you on the internet then I still have a copy of that digital thing, whatever it is, right? I can share a song with you. I have a copy. You have a copy. I can send you a document. I have a copy. You have a copy. But with Bitcoin, for the very first time since the internet has existed, I can send you something, a digital thing, and I no longer have a copy of it. It's a unique digital property. The only ones and zeros like that that exist on the planet. So that's kind of the monumental shift that now occurs when you can make that connection and why Bitcoin we think is a big deal and what it allows for when you start shooting off into Ethereum and smart contracts and um, distributed autonomous agents and all these crazy things that they're building is because it allows for digital uniqueness, which didn't really exist before Bitcoin yeah. or it did, but you couldn't send it somewhere. So that's kind of what, that's what gets me excited. It's like, oh, that's obviously a big deal. I, in my opinion, I can send somebody this unique document or this unique thing that nothing else like it exists on the planet. And that's kind of like why Bitcoin scarcity becomes important because each one Bitcoin is the only one Bitcoin like it. So. The thing that got me to buy some was um, the, uh, uh, that cash grab in India. I don't know if that was like eight months ago, a year ago at this point. That was like a month ago. I think it was longer than that, but maybe my really? sense of time is. <laughs> but uh, uh, that, you know, Stephen, Stephen always talked about, you know, governments pulling back their cash. And um, it just seems like such a foreign, ridiculous idea. But it's definitely out there. Uh, in the ether to the point where Australia and India have both, I don't think they got rid of cash entirely, but just their larger denominations. But you know, that kind of, that brought it home for me, made it real. Um, I didn't dump, you know, all my money into Bitcoin, but it definitely, uh, it got me interested. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't know a bunch about it, but I went ahead and bought a bought a few to, you know, just have something in case <laughs> <laughs> my cash becomes worthless. Yeah. Um, I also really, I like the idea of having a little bit of anonymity from the uh, from the U.S. government. Um, I don't want them knowing absolutely everything I do, which is what would happen if they mm-hmm. did end up getting rid of all the cash. So that was my, that is my main draw to Bitcoin. Um, mm. I'm still, I'm still definitely not a zealot like, like you guys by any means. <laughs> I think it's kind of cool that it has that going on for it. It's dangerous when you become a zealot. It's a rabbit hole that does not stop getting bigger and bigger. Um, see, I, I didn't know you already had Bitcoin. That's kind of cool. I thought I was on ramping somebody who didn't have Bitcoin, but no, I, um, I mean, I've been, when was that? 2013. Steven's been yelling in my ear about Bitcoin since 2011. I think when it was like Whew. $70. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I know. Missed the train there. That was when, you know, Silk Road was still a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. but I did not buy any in any significant quantity until I actually bought it, bought some in 2013 during the, the Mount. Peak in 13, and that, you know, that sucked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, once everyone else knows about it, then it's a bad time to buy it. But, uh, yeah, so I lost a bunch of money there. Kind of got me, you know, a little salty on the whole Bitcoin thing. I was still looking at it like an investment, mm-hmm. but. You know, recently I started to look at its long-term potential in the form of a hedge against a U.S. or international cash grab, and uh, that's pretty much my only reason for holding it at this point. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, have- I think at the end of the day, you're doing a smart thing. At the end of the day, it's a pretty good investment because it's so asymmetrical. The po- the upward potential is so much higher than the actual initial yeah. investment. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah. that's so what like, got me originally. I'm a bit of a nerd. So I got sunk into the technological side, like just enough to get me my feet wet. And, um, I know a little bit more about the technological side. Of course, I've had this show for two years now. Um, but you know, that that's always the initial, inve- the initial investment for me was monetary and then once I started learning about it, it became, wow, this is actually kind of beneficial. I mean, well, I could go on and on about Bitcoin. Am I am I answering your questions to the the point you'd like them answered? The uh, the point you made about the hedge against centralization was really good because um, that's something I had in the back of my head. You know, okay, so. If Bitcoin did start to become too big, you could probably get, you know, Chase and I don't know, Bank of America could get together and buy a farm and centralize Bitcoin and destroy it for their own interest. But uh, the point you made about devaluing the currency, if they did that, um, they would have to be ready to lose everything they put into it. So that, that was really good. Um, and also... I was unaware that Bitcoin would be in full circulation in 2140 when I was dead. So that's another good one because uh, once it is in, in circulation in its entirety, that would be a tumultuous time for Bitcoin. I don't know if it would yeah. be that, but it would be a, a tumultuous time. 
Yeah. So I'm glad I won't be around for that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm still... I'm still skeptical of its practical applications um, unless there's some kind of shift, at least in the U.S. I don't, I don't know if it's just going to be a gradual, you know, over the course of the next 20 years, people just kind of start using it. I feel like it would have to, it would have to be something that um, sparked that change. I just don't mm -hmm. know what that would be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so that's it. For, for now, I still see it as a, as a hedge against future problems, not so much a alternate currency. But cool. But it's a better hedge than I thought it was <laughs> before coming on here. Yeah, it's 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 pretty solid stuff, and you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of upgrades in the network coming that hopefully, you know, if the if the community can drive the demand for these changes, you know, there's things in the in the works to give it more transactional velocity than the visa network um things of that things like that i would like see my goal is to actually educate people because people don't realize how much of a powerful tool it is this if we move to a system where that was built on the bitcoin network and had to have anchors to the bitcoin network then that gives that now gives us a tool to use against, not against, but for our own government. Because it's a public blockchain, you have to have a transaction ID when you give a transaction ID. It's a beautiful way of accounting. So, you know, if our governments were to use Bitcoin or a system that's tapped into Bitcoin, we could see where they're spending their money. We could see where these things go. And then it, it kind of gives us this new power as a citizen to say, hey, you know, you said you were allocating funds to X, Y, and Z, but we looked on the blockchain and we saw that you were actually allocating funds to some totally other thing. So what the hell's going on? Like, it gives us this different tool that usually the government has all this power to look at us and do all the things that we can do. But now Bitcoin kind of flips that on its head and says, hey, government, use Bitcoin or use something that has to tap into the Bitcoin blockchain so we can see it. I mean, yeah. So... It seems kind of, I don't know, it seems kind of utopian. We have such a corrupt government. It's like, <laughs> uh, I can't, I can't imagine them, them doing, making a switch like that. Like you have, I mean, hell, like something as simple as Comcast and, and Turner Entertainment have a monopoly with the, the FTC. I can't imagine the, uh, our, pol our elected politicians turning their backs on the banks, um, Oh no! I, mean, it was, it, I don't even know about, what you're talking about. Is like is revolutionary. I mean, I can't imagine they would ever just willingly <laughs> do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would be great. It would be great if they did. I just can't. I can't picture that. Um, yeah. I mean, that would be. It'd be it would, seems impossible. It does right. seem impossible, and it does seem stupid, and it does seem. But now it exists. Like, it's not like you can't put the genie back in the box. If, if Bitcoin goes away tomorrow, somebody's going to make something else coin. It's open source code. Yeah, I'm interested to see yeah, how so. the IRS starts to to deal with Bitcoin. Yep. Um, you know, because there's ways to buy it anonymously. And mm -hmm. I'm sure they don't like that. So I'm just wondering what their plans for it are, if they have any. It's got to be on the radar at this point. Yeah, they did. Um. 
they did recently ping uh, the largest, uh, one of the largest Bitcoin online wallet uh, providers called Coinbase and asked them for all their user data. And Coinbase said, no, that's really illegal. And the, and the IRS said, so were the IRS. And so now they keep having that same argument. They've been having it for about three months now. <laughs> so Coinbase hasn't caved yet? Not yet. They're spending a hell of a lot of money. I know they are, but they haven't caved yet. So, um, you know, there's some interesting things down the pipeline. I would say in the next two weeks, since you are invested, keep your ear to the street about the Bitcoin ETF that may get approved. That could be a big to, deal. I got Mackie blowing up my phone every single day. <laughs> Bro, the ETF. I don't know what the ETF is, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know of ETFs, right? Do I know what? You know of ETFs, right? No, I don't. I don't know that acronym at all. Oh, it's but it's like a okay. So an exchange traded fund, almost everything has an exchange traded fund. Gold, oil, um, there's weed ETFs now, uh, and it's basically a fund that owns a bunch of Bitcoin, but you buy shares of the fund instead of owning Bitcoin. So that's how it works. Why would you own a fund that owned Bitcoin instead of just buying it directly? Well, you and I think probably the same. You and I think exactly the same. Why not just own Bitcoin? Because it makes more sense to own Bitcoin. But a lot of people don't want the risk associated with holding it themselves um, or holding on to private keys or, or all those things. So they'd rather just take a bunch of ETF shares and throw it in their 401k and look at it in 25 years. Right. So why why do you guys think the ETF is going to... Um, not be good for Bitcoin, but be great for Bitcoin. Like um, I can tell you, in my opinion, I think that's it, it gives that mainstream audience access to Bitcoin now in a much easier, fluid way that they're used to through their brokerage accounts, through E-Trade, through um, All right, that's what you're saying. So Ameritrade. Going to be on the New York Stock Exchange? or it It'll be on the NASDAQ, I believe. Okay. And uh, I can see why that would be a big deal then. And um, yeah, it gives it gives normal people that do have some fluency in investing now really easy access, and it also exposes Bitcoin to the derivatives market, which is very, very, very large. So, you know, that's why everyone's crossing their fingers, like, yeah, come on, Bitcoin ETF, get the approval, because if that gets the approval, then hmm, it's going to be some interesting times ahead. So, do you have any um, inklings as to whether or not it's going to get approved, or um, you know, honestly, I don't. I don't know how the SEC makes their decisions. Uh, I don't. To me, since it's built like digital gold, they can use the same presumptions they did when they gave gold an ETF back in the fifties, I think when gold got an ETF. So my presumption and probably a little bit of my bias is yes, it's going to be approved because it works just like gold. Um, it holds value like gold. So why not? But you never know. So yeah, you've probably got some, um, uh, some big banks in the, in the SEC's ear, uh, trying to pull them away from approving that. So hopefully that's not a factor. Yeah, the banks do what the banks want to do. So, 
But um, yeah, I mean, we can wind it down if you want, Kyle. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, had a good time, man. That's good. That's good. And I'll let you know when it airs. It'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, man. If you could do one thing for me, what's that? Say, play the outro. Play the outro. Sweet.